Hey, what's going on, guys? Dom the Movie Nerd here, and have you heard the good word? Game of Thrones is back! Well, not really, but the first official spinoff, House of the Dragon, is set to premiere next year on HBO, and that got me thinking about how Game of Thrones, the number one most-watched show for a decade, just seemingly disappeared from the culture after that god-awful finale. And I wanted to find out why, which is why I'm proud to present the newest hit show from the Talking TV network, Talking Thrones, the new weekly show where myself and friend of the channel, Professor Pat Huber, get together to break down each and every single episode of this hit show. We've got focus character segments, we break down the lore, we go over some old reviews, all to get to the question of where did this show go wrong? It's a really fun time. You guys are not going to want to miss this. So head over to the Talking TV channel on YouTube and Spotify to check it out. We go live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Audio goes up the following Saturday. It's going to be a really great time as we once again battle it out for the throne. Holy shit, Chris. I didn't think it was possible. We actually got a good movie in 2021. Like... How? Just how? Yeah. For I mean, James Gunn, first off, so. No, I'm, t I'm totally at a loss for words. I mean, after sitting through weeks of movies like Zola, um, Saw, whatever, Spiral, Spiral, whatever you want to call it, um, and then most recently, the biggest atrocity of the year old, it's so refreshing to have a movie I actually enjoy watching. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> and also, we have a special guest on this episode, first time to the podcast, but has commented before, Dustin the Duster Mason. Dustin, I like to call you the secret to my success. I'm so happy to finally have you on the podcast. How you doing, man? I'm all right. Can't wait to talk about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Yep, with the <laughs> in the title being the most key point. We're talking about everything related to The Suicide Squad today, all that and more. Stay tuned. intro button and then you we click it at the same time so it ends up like canceling itself out but and people, you know i don't know why you go to click the intro button because i'm the one who does the graphics i know i know yeah. I, sh I should know it at this point <laughs> it's a force of habit i'll call it let's just say it at that but people we're back we're talking about the suicide squad the first actual good movie that we've got to talk about on this podcast in months like it's kind of crazy like i never thought that I would say this, that even though obviously 2020 was the year of the pandemic and that just sucked overall in general, I gotta say the vast majority of movies I liked in 2020 more than 2021. Like, I mean, look, we all know, I, I think it's safe to say the, the Suicide Squad was always gonna be one of the better movies to come out this year, but like, I guess just it's kind of elevated by just kind of the lack of quality overall that we've had from the vast majority of movies this year. You know, Chris, you've talked in vast extent about how TV is kicking movies ass. Dustin, I know you and I have talked about just the, the our vast disappointment in a majority of the movies that have come out this year. Like, Chris, do, do you have anything else to add to that before we actually get started? No, I think it's all going to come out throughout the conversation, that's for sure. But yeah, I don't know. Television is certainly doing what I hope it would do and thrive this year. And I also hope movies would do well. But I mean, it seems like we just keep getting stinker after stinker until one said Suicide Squad 2. So yeah, I, don't, I think it's just time to get into the movie, man. We have a new guest, first yeah. time on the podcast. Like, why don't we just toss it over to Dustin and he can start off with like his spoiler-free thoughts and just sort of give us like, I don't know, like your impressions of this film without 
We'll, we'll, we'll butcher some plot points later for people, but for now, let's just be a little friendly. Well, first and foremost, before we actually got into the review, I wanted uh, Dustin, because Dustin, Dustin's got an interesting relationship with not only this movie, but with the first movie. So, like, Dustin, I want you to go into, like, your thoughts on, like, this movie going in, coming from the last one, right? Your take on the last one and kind of just the transition for, uh, and the evolution, right, of kind of the Suicide Squad mantra movie from 2016 to now. All right, I'll, I'll start chronologically then. Uh, Suicide Squad 2016, directed by David Ayer. I was incredibly looking forward to it. I think everybody was. That first uh, trailer that came out was dope. And then there was a trailer with Bohemian Rhapsody playing. And it was f so good. It could have won a best, uh, you know, original short film at the Oscars. <laughs> That's how fucking good that trailer was. And then the movie came out and it ended up being uh barely a movie really it was a combined cut of like a trailer house cut because that's how good the trailer was for that movie that the studio hired them to do a cut re-edit a cut of this movie and they did a cut for that and they showed a cut for david Ayer's uh version of the film uh they both did not test well so they you know the conclusion of that was like let's just combine them and uh we got the movie we got and it was a humongous mess even though I do enjoy it. I don't think it's an awful film. I think technically it's not well written, but I think there's definitely energy put into it. There is a heart there throughout all that, you know, horrible color hues and, uh, you know, just terrible CGI, but good makeup. It won the Oscar, but, uh, and the performances really drive that movie. But when we get into the Suicide Squad, uh, directed by James Gunn, it's better in every way. From the marketing, uh, you, with that, you know, that great trailer, that trailer that's even better than the Bohemian Rhapsody trailer with that dirty work sample. It's just so good. And I, we see the actual film, it's better in every way. The cast is better. The visuals are it's way better. The makeup's way better. The, the the writing is not even comparable to the fucking first movie. It's so well done. And it's hilarious. It's harsh. It has some of the harshest violence I've ever seen in my life in a film. And this is the guy that made Super, okay? So this guy knows how to fucking make, like, palatable, violent, harsh, hilarious, dark comedies. And that's what the first one should have been. It was a little too dour. And then it was a little too light at points. This juggles tones perfectly and brilliantly and we'll get into the cast later but i enjoyed everyone and i was saying as the dom before the show i don't think i disliked a single performance in this film yeah. and i think it's a fantastic film absolutely. can't wait to talk about it absolutely so like as far as the transition and kind of the journey that we've had from the first one to now it's obviously just been kind of you know a kind of leapfrog stepping stone exercise, kind of like what Harley was doing in the movie as far as just how the studio was juggled. Obviously, where Warner Brothers was back in 2016, where they are now with trying to constantly compete with Marvel and trying to put out these properties that constantly just seem to be on every other end of the spectrum, you know, because you had... After the whole 2016 debacle, you had Wonder Woman, which was for the most part positively received. Then you had Justice League, which for the most part, the original cut, which was for the most part critically like maligned. Then you had Aquaman a year later, which say what you will about the movie, but the movie was a smash hit. Like it was like one of the highest grossing movies of 2018 for the most part loved around the board. Um, then you had Shazam, which was kind of a weird, like, lesser family-friendly movie. Then you start, like, the spin-off material where you start to do movies outside of, like, the actual DC universe where you have the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie, which is really not tied into this main universe at all. And then, obviously, they have the pandemic that sets in. And then you have everything that's happened since, right? With Wonder Woman 84, which supposedly takes place in the same continuity, even though that feels like a completely different movie, tonally. And then you've got the Snyder Justice League. And now you've got this where Warner is in this really weird position where... 
again, in the complete opposite stance of where they were back in 2016, they seem to be doing the opposite of what Marvel is doing. And Gunn has even talked about this in the behind the scenes of this movie where they are actually letting the artists and the creatives make essentially their own movies. Because like, say what you will about the Aquaman movie, but that feels like a James Wan movie. And like the Shazam movie, that feels like a David F. Sandberg movie, you know? And Wonder Woman 84, problematic and flawed as that movie was. And really, frankly, terrible as that movie was. That still feels like a Patty Jenkins movie. So I'm not going to necessarily say that they've learned their lesson because as we still know, there is no sense of overlying continuity. But Chris, I know for a fact you have made your thoughts very vocal on just kind of the DC and the Marvel versus of it all. So like, tell me just first and foremost, did you, as, as a diehard DC comic book fan, did you get everything and more that you could have possibly wanted from this movie? Oh, 110%. I mean, this this movie completely, I, I'll say it, like just took me by surprise. I, I, I did not, I mean, I heard it was going to be good. And, you know, I, I knew it was going to be good. Like just the trailers were, were awesome. And like Dustin was saying, just so charming and just really, they know how to hook you with this one. And uh, boy, did they like undersell it because I was even more taken by this film than I thought I could be. It was just such an enjoyable watch and it did everything that you kind of want DC to do, you know, like DC doesn't need to play ball with Marvel. I mean, first of all, they were first. So it's like, I don't know why we're trying to do this catch up game, insert joke at minute 32, like every other Marvel film has type nonsense. We don't need to do that. That's what I respected so much about the Snyder trilogy. It was very much so as flawed as it was, it wasn't trying to play ball. I felt personally with the whole, uh, you know, Marvelness of the homogenization of superheroes. And so th this film, I think did what all good movies should do if they're about superheroes, characters that have such rich and long-standing stories, a plethora of different installments you could pull from. It played to the strengths of the characters, and it didn't fit a formula. It was just really characterization at its best with an amazing plot that really helped to make this pretty large ensemble shine. And it was, I don't know, like, because we're... We'll get into the specific nitty gritty soon. I feel like we're nearing the end of the spoiler free section. But what I'll, what I'll leave my sentiment at is this movie is the best of DC. And I think the best of the superhero genre. It's just unfortunate that I don't think where it's going to because A, the box office has been so pitiful and uh, B, just everything is so, like I said, homogenized. I don't think it's going to change anything, but it's nice to have a little light in the darkness is how I see it. Yeah, it's I, I, get, I find it funny, obviously, that you're talking about superheroes when the bulk of the cast of this movie is super villains. Like, my whole thing with this movie, if I could just get my spoiler-free thoughts well, out Well, it's of the way, superhero genre, though. Right, right. So. It's, it's the, the comic book genre overall. Is that I've been talking a lot in the last couple of years about just comic book storytelling and how really after Endgame, comic book storytelling has really evolved to the point of now where we are essentially doing the equivalent of comic book storytelling now on the big screen, where before it's like we were still kind of doing them as movies or attempting to do. And now we are seeing, like, these now long-form comics stories take place over the course of like you know as tv shows as movies we can have like these one-off movies that supposedly take place in the same continuity but really they're only connected via the characters right i do find it interesting that obviously with the reception of the first one gun has his pick of the litter and picks and chooses the characters that he wants to bring back for the first one and i do find that very interesting that he does that obviously with the exception of will smith but as for my spoiler free thoughts on this movie Look, it's it's been a it's been a rough year. It's been a rough year movie wise, and I, after letdown after letdown after letdown, July, which quite possibly was the worst month of this whole year, where just every movie I either just wasn't a fan of or it was just a giant fucking flop. 
overall in every conceivable sense. It was so beyond refreshing because James Gunn does it now twice. He did it back in 2014 with the first Guardians of the Galaxy where I'm like, okay, what is this movie going to be? And that movie ends up being not only one of the best of Marvel, but ultimately a cultural landmark. And he nails it again here. Everything about this movie works. There was not a single dull moment. The action is on point. The characterization is on point. Like Dustin said, there's not a single bad performance in this entire movie. The soundtrack crushes. It holds up to its mantra of really like don't get attached these characters are expendable it you know what it is it, without spoiling anything it ultimately i think solves the one of the biggest problems of the first one which is that it actually knows how to handle its premise which is that the suicide squad as a concept is constantly at bat with the idea of just forget the superhero movies just traditional movie marketing in general because the whole point is you want to market off likable characters that people are going to want to stick with and root for through the entire time. And this, that goes against everything that the Suicide Squad as a concept stands for. The whole thing is that they are villains. They are expendable. They are put in this black ops unit that nine times out of ten, they go on missions that they will not come back from. And Gunn recognizes all of those elements and manages to translate that in a way that is not only palatable for audiences just in general, but also really fucking fun and really funny and really gruesome and just real and has so much heart and all of the best ways, right? It's funny. I saw elements of Guardians of the Galaxy in, in here, right? And as far as maybe the setup of like the initial squad as to what we get, sure, there are comparisons that you can make there, but as the film goes on, it definitely develops this really unique identity in and of itself. And th this movie really, truly is something special. Not just for the year of 2021, not just for comic book movies, not just for DC, but just like as a film, just in general, it works. And I really think it's going to go down withstand you know just the current climate of movies that we're in right now as just one of the greats just in general so those are our spoiler free thoughts so the one thing i will say now is we're about to dive heavy into spoilers so again the movie is on hbo max but i know obviously that you know just because of the inherent nature of this movie there are a lot of people who still haven't seen it so i cannot stress this enough if you do not want to get spoiled on this movie click out of this video now go watch it and then come back later on because we are about to talk some spoilers and as always people you know what to do click the comment Leave a comment below, click the subscribe button, click the like button, and always be sure to keep coming back for more content. So, guys, let's talk about all the people who died. Because, like, there are a lot of people who died in this movie. Like, first of all, just the fact that Gunn pulls off probably the biggest ensemble cast that he's ever had. Like, what are their, just of the squad alone, there's like, what, 16 members? At least that we 17. started out with. 17? Right. It's it's ridiculous. If we count the flag. I didn't count them. It's yeah, I, I think it's sixteen uh, super okay. villains. And I would count him. I mean, he kind of yeah. got screwed over too by Waller. Let's be kinda, honest. Kind of, but but that but that's just what what makes <laughs> him so good. in as like, the uh, distraction mission. I don't know. I think yeah. he was just as disposable as the rest of them. But uh, hey, sixteen, seventeen. Let us know in the comments your thoughts on that. But yeah, Dom, take it away. Like, I mean, look, I think, I mean, I. Want to like venture a guess because I don't want to like compare myself to other people in that sense, but like I don't know. Like, did you guys find it obvious that like that whole squad that they were assembling of like Captain Boomerang and Savant, all those guys, the media that they were like kind of be the distraction, they were gonna get killed in the first 15 minutes? Like, did you guys get like any sense of that? Because, like, in a like weird immediately? way, not immediately, but like, I thought like when the they marketing... come on screen, no, I feel like as soon as we we cut back to that to the other team coming on the island that's when i realized that's that's their point they were literally this there to die and amanda waller's mean and just ruthless yeah. well, i'm right i'm right there with dustin on that one i think you have to be a a, a fortune teller to uh yeah. that one they sold it really I mean, that was well I how it was executed yeah Pun intended. 
Yeah, exactly. Really, yeah. They, they really they really pulled the wool over your eyes with that one in a very brilliant way, I thought. But yeah, so so what fooled me there is a sense of like I, I, I had a pretty good idea in my head. I'm like, oh, none of these guys are making it like all of those initial like C tier squad members, like aside from Harley and Rick, because we saw them in like the rest of the movie. I'm like, none of these guys are making it past the opening 15 minutes. But the way that both the trailer executed it and the way that the movie executed it, as far as like showing it, like having that be the exposition scene, but also like some of the one, one of the best opening scenes, quite frankly, just that I've ever seen just in general, but like how they utilize that as like they were like the distraction squad of like and just like uses Waller and like how they were all like Waller's chess pieces. Like, first of all, like Waller, who was already Viola Davis's performance in that character was already one of the best parts of that first movie and ultimately gunned like one ups it here by just really exposing like the sadistic elements of her personality. As far as that goes, like, it was brilliantly done as far as that goes. And then we get into the actual members of our squad who are revealed to be at least the initial five before they gain more as the movie goes on, which are revealed to be Idris Elba's Bloodsport, John Cena's uh, Peacemaker, Daniela Melchior's Ratcatcher 2, David Dasmalchin's Polka Dot Man, and then Sylvester Stallone, obviously, or Nanawe, as voiced by Sylvester Stallone. And... Man, just like everything that Gunn said that he was going for, as far as this being like a war movie, a Dirty Dozen movie, a Man on a Mission movie, a Snatch and Grab movie, like they were like Dustin. Did you did, were you getting Glorious Bastards vibes here? Like with like the certain of the title, I was sort of getting that bit. throughout the movie. I was I was mainly just fi- trying to figure out where where have I heard that opening credit song? Because it just reminded me of like Dawn of the Dead, like the Zack Snyder, oh, the, movie. the Johnny Cash song. No, the. No, the one with uh, the, when the opening credits are playing. Oh, yeah. He's oh, the man. people who died, died. Yep, yep. Who died. I was like, is that was that in the Zack Snyder movie before? <laughs> I, know. I haven't seen the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead, so it may very well be. But yeah, there was a lot of, uh, I felt, Snyderisms in this one. I mean, yeah. he did produce it, but sometimes that just means throwing money at it. I wonder. I, I was wondering throughout it to the length of his involvement. Yeah, it was giving me like like yeah, early Zack Snyder vibes for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting in that sense, but like just the way that the movie handles it's it's vast cast, right? Like I, I it does the very smart thing where aside from a few key players in that initial squad, like Michael Rooker, who's obviously the intro person, Weasel, who's obviously the joke, Captain Boomerang, because he's the character we know from the previous movie, and then Pete Davidson, who again we know is Pete Davidson, right? Like, I think they do a really good job of like not of like giving us not really enough, but like just enough to realize it's like, oh, we're not going to be spending the rest of the movie with these characters. And the way that it circles back, the way that it edits in like the previous time sequence, like it's, it's brilliantly um, handled. I, I would beg to differ, though, because they kind of fool you by throwing Flag and Harley Quinn in there. And that kind of makes you true. think like, OK, yeah. they're forming some connections. Harley Quinn does tend to have silly, ridiculous bonds with characters throughout movies. And so I think I don't know. I think that they kind of did a good job. Like Dustin said, you really only realize it unless you're a fortune teller when you see the other squad come up on the beach and each yourself was like, Hey, we just saw an explosion. And Waller says, Oh, well, don't worry about that. That was to help you guys out or whatever her exact verbiage was. But Dustin, what's your, what's your take on that? Well, uh, I, that opening sequence was great. Uh, with the first suicide squad, the first team that we're introduced to, but, uh, Jai Courtney was one of my favorite parts unexpectedly of the first film. I thought he was easily the funniest part and like kind of the most interesting of the, of the bunch because all he does is throw boomerangs and drink and is obsessed with unicorns for some reason. I don't, I don't know, but he was funny in that movie. And I, and I wanted this movie to like, even if they kill him off, they, they, they were going to do right by him. And they did like immediately within the first 10 minutes of the film, like you see him actually, 
actually throw a fucking boomerang in this movie and he slices somebody's throat and head. So that was awesome. That was a great payoff for that character. And then when you see him in the opening credits is, is you know, when he dies, you, he gets like an epic death where he's kind of like smiling or he's like, he's kind of accepting it where it's just like, and then you're sad. Right. And then you see him in the opening credits with the, the boomerang still in his arm. So like they didn't really shit on Captain Boomerang. They they killed him off, but they they respected him, and yeah. I like that. So if you like them in the first movie, you're not going to be pissed off. I don't and, think. And that's the interesting thing too, is for both with the Captain Boomerang of it and with the connections to the first one, because you're right. Because the the I feel like the 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 red herring with the Captain Boomerang thing at the beginning, as far as fooling you, is mm. the sense that like usually when you talk about kind of the Trinity, that's usually like most of the iterations of the su- various iterations of the Suicide Squad over the years. It's usually three people. It's Harley Quinn, Deadshot, and Captain. Boomerang boomerang so that's what kind of fooled me there and as far as kind of like the connections to the first one go like i think this movie does the best possible thing in that with the exception of like a few choice lines in the beginning when harley gets on the plane and cat and boomerang asks her like what she's doing back in jail it's like the movie essentially acts as both a soft reboot but it's also it's not necessarily like forgetting anything from the first movie like sure there are slightly different characterization like it's very i'd like the rick flag here is a much different rick flag than we got in the first one because i think joel kin i think joel kinnaman both with his transition of like you know where he was career-wise back in 2016 versus where he is now and also kind of with the transition everything that he's been also under gun's direction like it just it feels like a much more fleshed out character it feels like he has much more to do and then after the opening sequence once we get into the actual antics of the of the actual squad that we spend the majority of the movie with and getting to know their dynamics it's amazingly well done i think one of my favorite sequences is that opening campfire scene where um, for Bloodsport wakes up, sees Polkadot Man expelling the dots, and then he sees King Shark almost eating Ratcatcher, immediately shoots him, has the shooting scene, and then Ratcatcher at the moment. Then you see fucking John Cena come out in the fucking whitey tighties, and already within the first 10 minutes, John Cena is one light years better than he was in F9. Like, cause the whole thing, it's the whole thing with gun and wrestling, wrestlers, where he knows how to get performances and play to wrestler strength. And everything that Cena is doing in this movie, I saw a really really interesting um, meme on, online that kind of described it's like where like Cena's direction he was given was like to play it as a douchey Captain America but I actually I saw this meme and it actually pointed out really actually he's more so like a version of the comedian from Watchmen where he's like this jingoistic ruthless killer the only difference really is that he still thinks that he's doing everything that he's doing for like the right reasons at least all the way until the end where he fully accepts that he is this hedonistic killer and but the movie I said this to Chris too The movie does this exceptional job of this balancing act where the movie introduces them as villains, sort of kind of gets you to know each and every one of them in their own way, makes you feel sorry for them, at least at certain points, and then pulls the wool back in the last minute to remind you, no, these guys are fucking villains. You know, they're not assholes, but they're villains. Their interests are still their own, you know? And, like, that's a really, really tough sell, especially in in today's modern movie market where everything has to be so PC and so kosher and all the characters always have to right. be likable. And it's just refreshing to see like a movie where it's like, yeah, you can have unlikable characters because that's just that's what TV's been doing and, for the last like 10, 15 years now. And I just kind of want to take it over here for a second while you're speaking about, you know, the PC being infused into uh, film and TV. And uh, I think sometimes it's almost <laughs> that is the plot and the story. And I'm not <laughs> saying I stand on any side of the aisle, but what I'm saying is if there was a way to do sort of um, undertones or messaging that does not 
step on the toes of your film or take away from the characters or the hard work being put in by the cast and crew. I think it is with John Cena's Peacemaker. I, I loved the political message there. Um, sort of like the, uh, the diehard patriot who will kill for his country because he's just so blinded by, you know, his love for his nation. I, I think it's a very interesting social commentary to make, but the thing about it is it's not blatant in my opinion. It, it wasn't forced down your throat. It was there if you wanted it and you could read into that if you wanted it. But I felt that it also was not something that the movie was built on. It was just an added depth to the character while also filmmakers doing what they do, which Again, we have freedom of expression. I'm totally cool with that, making a statement. But it, it was it was done in a way where I thought there was a level of class. And I, I don't know. I felt like there was other commentaries as well made throughout this film. Oh, absolutely. But again, like it never stepped on the toes of the, what we were watching. And uh, before we bring it back to you, Dom, I don't know. Dustin, wh- how did you feel about that? And kind of like, you know, uh, wh- what's your take? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I'm, I'm curious. Feel about what in particular? About like... like uh, the uh, the way that gun infused social commentary into this movie. Do you think it was egregious? I mean, Do you think it was subtle? What's your take on that? It was definitely subtle. I, that, it didn't really distract me or anything. It was just it felt like a comic book movie in like the best possible way. Like it, you didn't have to take it too seriously, which I which I I appreciate personally. And uh, it was just his signature style of humor and his signature style of action, and he keeps improving on each film. And I just. It's he's just a, a wonderful director. I just I, I can't get enough of his his films at all. Yeah, yeah it, I, I, sure. I, think it's, I think it's definitely interesting where it's like kind of the, the for, for lack of a better word, like the pol- the political connections. Right. Where <coughs> obviously, again, it's a comic book movie. It's escapist. I think it does a, a really good job as far as like kind of allowing you to like escape into the fantasy. But at the same time, like it does make statements, on, uh, I, I think, really interesting believe. But like. That's always been the nature of the squad. Almost every single mission that the Suicide Squad has gone on, they always end up finding out that they've been double-crossed, screwed over, something, some crucial detail has not been told them, right? And that plays out in a very divisive way once we get to the third act of the movie. Obviously, once they get onto the island and then once they're going through and once they meet, like, kind of the political dissidents and, like, one of the most brilliantly set up and played out jokes in the movie where they're going through the camp who they've been told are dangerous army members. They brutally murder every one of them. Then they find out that they're members of the rebel faction and they're like, oh, shit. Uh." Yeah. Know what I noticed on a rewatch, though? Like, I didn't, I, I, I didn't realize this the first time. Amanda Waller tells them before they go into the camp, oh, kill anybody you see. They're the most dangerous people in the world. Yep. And and if I have one problem about, like, the Joel Kinnaman character is that there wasn't enough, like, explanation as to why he's, like, doing all of this for Waller still, especially since she's, like, trying to get him killed the whole time. Right. Right. I didn't really understand. I thought that was the one hole in this movie that I can't really overlook. And... That's what I wanted to say before about Joel Kinnaman, but I didn't want to interrupt. It's definitely no. That's a good. That's a good. Um, I'd say that's a good point there because his his motivation was a bit clouded. Uh, and, and you know, I also mm-hmm. wanted to comment on Joel Kinnaman. He's so confusing to me just as an actor because he'll do a great performance in For All Mankind season two, and he'll have a decent performance in Suicide Squad two, but it's like. For every one good performance, there's like three terrible ones. I, I just don't understand him. He's very, just as I a like performer, him. he's very confusing. I, I feel like he he really is very circumstantial. 
and uh, yeah. but he's such a big name, and it doesn't. I, I maybe I just feel like I'm in the minority on that one, but it just always blows my mind because I didn't think he was like amazing in this film, but I also didn't think he was flat like I've seen him be in other properties. So I don't know. I just kind of wanted to. He was definitely an improvement from the first movie. Uh, his the way he was more into the character and stuff, even with the clouding of his motivation, which I, I do agree. I think if there was one sort of thread that didn't quite feel as tight as all the rest i think it would be that one but yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I wanted to just chime in on that with kinnaman because he's such an anomaly in my brain yeah because like it's the- when it's like introduced in the third act like immediately like it's rushed to the fact that he just wants to like uncover this conspiracy that's like the, that america is behind and amanda waller knows about and then john cena comes out of nowhere is like no i got a mission of my own motherfucker i i can kill you like you you give me that disc and it's like it's like rushed it's well executed but it's like a little rushed and it's just like is amanda waller like really aware of that like is she she approves of that but okay yeah well well we we already know that like amanda waller is perfectly fine with just like murdering and experimenting on children especially since well we know the u.s government obviously sanctioned the thinkers experiments there obviously before the coup that happens prior to this movie and waller is clearly sending in the squad in order to cover everything up and again not not to like I guess answer the flaw, but I guess if there was like one reason, it would probably be because she probably she she knew the real reason why she was setting in the squad, and she probably knew that like kind of flags moral high ground, right? And she probably definitely didn't want to risk him potentially stumbling in on that. So if mm. for nothing else, like well, like Waller definitely demonstrates in this movie like just how ruthless she is. I mean, she had that one moment in the last movie where she killed like all the members of the all the people that were in the room with her, but that scene really just felt like it was just completely out of nowhere and felt like it was just thrown in there to be like, oh, here's how ruthless Amanda. Waller is but in this movie I definitely did a much better job like straight from the get go where she's perfectly willing to let Bloodsport's daughter get thrown in Bell Rev and murdered She's perfectly cool with that. And I think the other thing too that they did is her kind of little staff room just in general. I think they did an excellent job of kind of them kind of realizing just how like fucked up their boss is and just like the the lows that she will. She even says it. She's like you have no idea how far I'm willing to go. You know, speaking of loose threads, though, I think maybe perhaps another one that just poked out to me is speaking of the staff room. Amazing characterizations there. You don't get to spend too much time with them, but everything was clear and I thought really well thought out and well executed, except for when they knock her out and she comes back to consciousness and there's seemingly no penalties for knocking out yeah, like your superior officer, was... your commander. I, I think maybe that might be the second thread that's just not as tight as I would have wanted it to be. Well, when we, when you see the two agents at the end of the, you know, in the second post credit scene, scene, yeah, you don't see the one that knocked her out. That's you, true. That you don't know true. what happened. That's, that's point. true. That's a good point. You don't, you don't know what happened to fucking her, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. true. Yeah. The other two got fucked over, but where did the other one go? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh man! All right, that, so maybe not as uh, maybe not as uh, thin of a thread as I might have thought. And also, like, if I have a tiny nitpick, but like, it could not have been more obvious that Gunn originally intended to have Peacemaker die. And then when WB greenlit the Peacemaker TV show that's coming out on HBO Max, it was like, up. Oh, obvious reshoot here we go and uh, like I, I don't know like i i know and like i i don't necessarily like that was the only kind of like moment that stood out to me was where it's it like, a reshoot eh. oh the post absolutely it was a reshoot it was like he even said it he's like yeah that was a reshoot all right interesting yeah. i mean i don't know i think t- hearing that now kind of gets me a little bummed out because i i think it's th- that comes down to what i hate artists doing which is like sacrificing creative integrity for potential dollars down the line. But if there was anyone I trust with the vision, it's gone. So right. I'll let it, I'll let it slide this one time. 
Right. Not and that I my just, opinion matters to him, but I just I also just wanted to talk about just like the, the rest of the characters and just like how well they did. Because like again, like with the main members of the squad, like first off you get Bloodsport, right? Idris Elba, who it could not have been more obvious that they had him shoot in as their backup for when for when Will Smith if or when Will Smith wouldn't want to come back. And then for whatever reason, like that like Will Smith said, No, I might want to come back for this movie. So they're like, okay, we'll just make this a different character. And like Idris Elba to me, like, don't get me wrong, I liked Will Smith in the first one, but like Will Smith is one of those actors where it's like I, I think with the exception of I Am Legend, has Will Smith ever died? Like, has his character ever died in a movie aside from I Am Legend? You know, obviously you have the off-screen depth and independence. Seven like, pounds. Oh, yeah, seven pounds. That's right. I believe iRobot, maybe? Did he no. die in iRobot? No. no. Okay, I haven't okay. seen that movie in forever. So, I just so felt like, like it was tragic. The, the point <laughs> that I'm trying to get at is that Will Smith is one of those actors where it's like, okay, again, it's kind of similar to like, in a weird way, the Margot Robbie, the Harley Quinn of it all, where it's like that's more so to attributed to the actor than the character. But it's like the actor, it's like, OK, there's definitely like like they're not they're not going to kill Will Smith at the end of like the first Suicide Squad, you know. But like Idris Elba, both kind of like with the type of actor that he is as opposed to Will Smith, like Idris Elba is not like a big name, like lead superstar. He's been in a ton of blockbusters just in the last couple years alone, but he's not like a big name lead superstar. So poisoning him as the lead, I think it's really interesting, kind of it, it, it increases like the expendability of his character and it makes him like more succinct with the team. And the fact that like the team besides being like the literally D-list characters, like aside from Harley Quinn and Captain Boomerang, because the first of all, I know none of these guys. Well, I know Polka Dot Man because they've just been making a lot of jokes about him in recent years when some of the comic book properties have come out. But like, I think that kind of the premise in and of itself is whereas how they're able to bounce like, okay, none of these characters might walk out of this movie alive at the end. And so they're able to kind of like mix and mesh and do these really interesting characteristics where Bloodsport, yeah, they have the setup as far as like, oh, he has the teenage daughter and that's why he's doing this mission. But like the relationship between them is completely different than the relationship between like Will Smith and them at the end. And I think that like they're able to balance out like the, the parts that like the more charming parts of Elba's, you know, charisma that have kind of been lost in the last couple blockbusters that he's in with like kind of the ruthless nature of it and like the back and forth that he has with Cena and then everything that they do with the rat catcher and polka dot man characters as far as kind of making those two like the tragic hearts of the movie like it, it's, it's exceptionally well done especially since, like with the polka dot man character david das melchin is an actor who's like pop been popping up in these random comic book properties since the dark knight and now he's in like He's going to be, like, a crucial cast member in the Dune movie that's been coming out because of his relationships with Christopher Nolan and Denny Villeneuve. And he gets put in this movie, and, like, the whole thing, right, is Gunn said specifically with that character. He's like, no, I want this to be the most pathetic character possible. And then he ends up giving him this tragic backstory that, in a way, like, really makes him the heart of the movie. And the same thing with the Ratcatcher character, too, especially since, like, that actress who is, like, a first-timer actress. Like, I, I, I can't really explain, like what it is and like how it is that he gets out of it because it's not like the Gamora and the Rocket Raccoon characters from Guardians of the Galaxy where those are both like kind of big name celebrities and like it kind of draws you in with like their inherent unlikability and then makes you like them by the end but here it's like they completely they completely make these characters completely like like really like engaging like they get you in with like the mystery and the veneer of the characters and then they end up like completely winning you over by the end, even unfortunately with the polka dot man death, which unfortunately for me is like the only death in the movie where I'm like, uh, okay. Like that's like all the deaths in the movie for me worked, but that's the only death where I'm like, oh, this kind of felt like a fuck you death. Cause like he finally gets the superhero moment. He finally has a chance to like, he finally has a chance to like actually like show off and prove like prove, 
you know, everything that he's been working for as far as like, yeah, his mom experimented on him. She wanted him to be a superhero and everything. And now he finally actually has the chance to be a superhero. And then he gets the nope, he just gets smushed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I agree been- with you wholeheartedly on that. Yeah, like because it was the whole thing. It's like, OK, he's very it's like. That was such a Game of Thrones moment where I was like, oh, this is just there to like be like because the whole movie had gone against the idea of just doing this shit for shock value's sake. And that was the only moment where I'm like, ah, this feels like a shock value for shock value's sake, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a played out moment too. that kind yeah. of depth. Yeah. It's like yeah, it kind of it, it, it was uh, it was a little upsetting after I thought a movie full of achievements in a genre, like I say all the time, which is just so one in the same. <laughs> But uh, honestly, if that's a complaint, it's a pretty good complaint considering the tangents we've had on this show about other superhero properties yeah. that have come out, uh, not just recently, but just since the whole Marvel bubble really began. But I do agree with you guys in the sense that, like, yeah, it didn't quite feel as earned as I would have wanted it to. It, it, it certainly felt like um, not a studio quota because I don't think Gunn plays that game, but it, it felt like uh, something for the audience and in a film that was so much... You could tell, I mean, personally, I felt just like an excellent display of like balancing what audiences want with true passion and like vision, unlike some other directors in the superhero genre. So it was a bit unfortunate. But I will say, though, talking about Polka Dot Man, I thought the characterization and and like this this performance was outstanding like i love when we would sort of get a chance to look through his eyes and see his mom i thought it was hilarious normally that type of thing annoys me but i think it was done in such a way where it's like you can't not love this and it's cool because i mean it showed that like hey you can have jokes in superhero movies i mean the suicide squad really lend themselves to a lot of humor so you kind of need it but it doesn't always have to be this cookie cutter hey minute 32 Kylo's going to look at Poe. Poe's going to look at Kylo. Do I speak? Do you speak? Stupid Disneyification of humor. Like, it, it can be a little interesting. It can be a little artsy and still make people laugh and, and fall for, you know, the, the, the joke that you want them to fall for in the moment. I just think this movie, like, the biggest thing I got out of it, and, and I want you guys' take on it, like, I think it's not going to be a blueprint for a way to sort of redefine the superhero genre because I think the box office is going to speak louder than anything and the lack of, it seems, viewers that have seen this movie. But I would love it to be sort of like, hey, we can approach this whole thing different. And it just doesn't seem to be the case. But I don't know. What's your your guys' take on on like some of the humor and the way it was implemented and and sort of like, you know, this, this Marvel bubble that we live in? Well, I definitely feel like to kind of speak to the box office in and of itself, that we kind of have to take obviously as its own thing, obviously, because we're because again, this this is a, this still unfortunate. I mean, it's the new normal, but it's still not unfortunately a, a normal box office time. But I definitely think that like in a normal box office time, I don't necessarily know if this would have done like Deadpool numbers, but I definitely think it would have done something similar to that. So, so we got to take that at the whole box office aspect with a grain of salt. But yeah, like that's the thing just about Gunn as a director. His humor has always been so unique and so in and of itself. That's why like when the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie came out, even though we were kind of used to like the typical Marvel quote unquote brand of humor that had really been established obviously by both Robert Downey Jr. And then obviously with what Joss Whedon brought to that first Avengers movie, the humor that he brought to that first Guardians of the Galaxy movie just felt so unlike anything that we had really seen in Marvel up until that point and Gunn has proven now time and time again that when it comes to just his sense of humor with how he characterizes them it is so uniquely and wholly his own in fact that's part of the reason why I had such a problem with at first with Thor Ragnarok was because I still wasn't as used to Taika's sense of humor and I thought that just with like Taika, Taika was a pretty experienced director, but like as far as like being brought in the way like Gunn had obviously had a couple years ahead of him and I felt like everything that they were trying to do in Thor Ragnarok I felt like they were trying to like almost 
not quite mimic Guardians, but like try to emulate a lot of the tone of Guardians, and it just wasn't working for me as well because Guardians had just made such this incredible stance, obviously. We literally got in the second Guardians movie only a couple months before Thor Ragnarok, and I think that Gunn continues that. It, it could, Gunn's greatest strength is his ability to mix and match the tragedy of these characters and, and using humor as their veneer. That's part of what makes Rocket Raccoon so appealing is the fact that Rocket Raccoon uses his asshole veneer in order to cover up the fact that he feels so dejected and so rejected from everyone else and feels like he has no connection to anyone. And you kind of get that sense from each and every one of these characters in the movie where every single one of them has daddy issues. Every single one of them is isolated. King Shark, literally his whole thing is just that he has no friends, ultimately, and he just wants, like, you know, this family, you know? Like, that that that's kind of, that's Gunn's greatest strength, and Gunn continues to do that in each and every one of his movies. And the fact that we're now seven years, seven years. I even saw him post about it the other day, seven years removed from the first Guardians and everything that he's doing with his characters is still like on point. I say like, just keep on going it because this is like the one instance where it doesn't feel like studio mandated. Oh, this has got to be funnier. Oh, this has got to be more likable. It feels like no, everything came from a sense of creativity, like from a creative stance, which again, from a blockbuster, like it just makes this such more of a rare gem in today's day and age. Oh, yeah. I thought like it was hilarious. And like, unlike the first film, like everybody in this movie had a distinct personality and sense of humor and none of it felt forced and none of it felt like it was like James Gunn was ripping off Guardians of the Galaxy, ironically, which the first one kind of did feel like, uh, you know, even though it was trying to rip off Deadpool, ironically, but it felt like it was ripping off Guardians of the Galaxy. But um, Everyone was great in this. Joel Kinnaman was funny, too. They gave him a sense of humor. They uh, Idris Elba, I thought, was the best in the movie. I thought he was hilarious from the first frame he was on. I just thought he completely handled every tone he was given. And just the Tai-E-Y-E line is just, just kills me. And uh, just his story was just the most, like like compelling too and his whole arc with like the rats and everything his fear of rats it wasn't like a, a silly one-off running gag either like it was actually well written into the story and the last shot of the film i thought was perfect with him right him and sebastian finally getting yeah. over his fears and realizing like hey you know it doesn't have to always be like this i thought it was yeah you're right it was so expertly done like that's a great way to do humor, you know? Everything should, I think, tie into the characterization of, especially in this type of movie, this ensemble, and and it really worked in this film on so many different fronts. Now, my favorite performance, and I think it's her best performance as the character, was Harley Quinn. I thought Margot Robbie was amazing. I mean, she pretty much held down the entire B story, and the way it just converged with the A story, it, it was kind of like a masterclass in like action storytelling, I felt. Just... Like so perfectly, they met up for the big final raid of the the Nazi tower, and it was just so well done. Because you know, sometimes like B stories, they're like, "Oh, okay, cool, get me back to the main guys." And I was just like, "What is she gonna do next?" Like she has me right now; she really does. And so I, I, I just thought, really, because you know, thinking about what Dustin just said, and then how <laughs> our nitpicks in the beginning, we even were able to justify one of them. I mean, this this film, man. I'm just. I know we're not quite there yet, but I'm excited to give my star rating. And I haven't yeah. felt that way in a long time. I, I guess the only thing that I have to say about the Harley storyline, which, which again, like I'm not not you're Chris. I'm 100 with you. This is probably of, of the three performances that she's given, and like she was everyone. That was the thing that everyone came away from the first one noting is that Har is that Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. I even back then, like after seeing her in Wolf of Wall Street, I knew that she was going to crush it as the character. But like seeing now, like kind of everything that she's been through, it's like that is they they struck lightning 
Well, they, you know, they, they struck lightning with that casting, just in general. Just how good she is, just as far as nailing all the mannerisms, just completely nailing everything that it is that people love about that character, making her comic book accurate, managing to nail the balance of, like, the tone with, like, kind of her ditzy personality with her more psychotic side and everything. And you're right, because this totally could have fallen into the trap of being like, oh, this is just a B storyline that ties us over until we get back to the A storyline, but it totally wasn't. Everything that they had going on with her and the dictator character, which, by the way, the dictator characters, again, for a character that could have been just one-off stock generic villains, like, they actually injected, like, quite a lot of humor and quite a lot of intrigue into those characters, and the way that they handled the whole Harley and the dictator, what, what was his name, Sylvia Luna relationship, and, and, and kind of how that ended up resolving itself with basically when he admits it, like, he's going to use Starro to, like, blackmail the world and, like, experiment and kill children and, like, maintain control over his gun. And she just shoots him just straight up right there without a second hesitation and then says, I told myself that the next time I would get into a relationship with someone that I would immediately kill him if there were any red flags. Like, they just handle it perfectly. They know exactly what they're doing with this character. They they know that this character is, like, their most, probably their most marketable character just as well, far as, like, this sex It was goes. perfect character growth i thought in, yeah. in in the best way possible because it was so true to her personality and the performances we've gotten from her in the past as, as harley quinn i i thought it was brilliant yeah and like the action sequences when like he's pulling a little bit from matthew vaughn with like showing off like all of like the, the the like the color the graphics in the background when she's going through the hallway killing everyone and then when she meets up with everyone and just like the reaction like that was a scene that we kind of knew of from the trailer but it was still freaking hilarious and then when she's doing like the back and forth like when they're interrogating the thinker before they go in like it's expertly well done i think that she blended in perfectly it's funny because like for a majority of it i was like okay so harley's pretty much off on doing her own thing while the rest of the squad we have is making i'm like how are they gonna how are they gonna mix and mesh these two and it ended up working out perfectly well like I, I love how they still even managed to get her like the final shot when she's the one that ultimately gets the last jab at Starro which speaking of which not, not to jump tied too quickly but only like how do, you, how do you guys think they handled the Starro character because it's weird because, we're, because I don't know if you guys remember but like one of the biggest criticisms about the first movie was why are they sending in the Suicide Squad who relatively don't have that many superpowers against like a magical like giant CG villain threat and then Gunn does the same thing here where he has the Suicide Squad who with the exception of King Shark and Polka Dot Man don't really have superpowers per se against a giant fucking CG like creature that can literally create his own zombified army. Like what did you guys think of that? Well, the thing that was cool about it was like they Amanda Waller didn't send them there for that. Like she almost kills them for, for going back into fighting and then the girl, you know, yep. hit Amanda Waller. But like I thought they handled it incredibly well, that character. I mean, uh, you know, the Peter Capaldi character, there was some unexplained kind of abuse going on between him and Starro or whatever. Uh, that wasn't really explained, but from a visual standpoint, it was so crazy to look at. And it was one of the grossest villains I've ever seen in, in a good way. Like it was gross in like an effective way. It was like with the squids coming out of the armpits and or whatever they were. And they were coming out of the armpits and they were going on the faces. It was just gory. And they were practical, too. I'm pretty yeah. sure those things. And the practical effects were insane and the visual effects, it was, they were seamless. And uh, it was just completely gross. But they that was the feeling you were supposed to feel. Right. And I liked it a lot. And 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 they even at the end when Starro inevitably dies because you know it is this type of movie where you know they're going to defeat the big bad uh they make they justify his motivations you know he was happy floating in space but the humans had to go and mess it all up and And it's just like the american government is the one that brought them in that brought right and it's just and it's just so 
amazing the way that, like you said, when we were watching the film together last night, Dom, they can make you feel for the big bad kaiju who's destroying the city. It was awesome. It really yeah, was. It was it was unbelievable. And also, shout and out to And can I just say? Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I just no, want to say, before we get too far away from Dustin's sentiment, yeah, visually, he was stunning. Like, he looked so yeah, good. They really I couldn't nailed believe that. it. They like, really he, fucking nailed that. It, it felt real. Nothing about the way that they chose to employ him in, in the combat scene. Uh, the combat scene felt forced. Nothing felt. It felt like, wow, if there was a giant starfish from outer space that was attacking a city, this is kind of what I think it would look like. And, and again, I was really impressed by that. And again, for all the criticism that the Marvel movies get for kind of, again, the generic. Eric CG filled third acts, just kind of, you know, not at all paying attention to just human and civilian casualties, how it only ends up being the superheroes. They just cause massive amounts of collateral damage with no repercussions whatsoever. And this movie actually did it diligent, not only with expertly choreographed and really well done action sequences where you could actually tell what was going on for the majority of it, but also like the human casualties, like the whole thing that to me that like made this third act work where so many other third acts don't is that. They specifically say, no, when these things get taken over, there is no going back. They are dead. They are literally walking corpses. And the fact that you see the amount of destruction that Starro causes and they're about to walk away and finally their consciousnesses kick in and they're like, we, we can't let this happen. You know, they, we're going to let this entire island get destroyed. Forget the fact that who knows what will happen if Starro actually takes over the island. Like, Amanda Waller is literally willing to let, like I said, just regular innocent children, like, die. Just at the expense of of this, like just from a PR standpoint, obviously, like the besides the fact that this is televised all over the place, I definitely feel like that wouldn't play out well. But just in general, like it, it, I, I think, yeah, where did the like, cameras come from? Yeah. Why, why was there just news footage at the end? Well, you know how that's go. That goes in superhero movies. There's always like, just like that random have news that scene of Storm Reed going, "That's my dad." Yeah, like that's the that, only that was the only one where I'm like, oh, "Okay, they needed to put that in there in order why? to tie that over." Because Storm Reed really doesn't have anything why else to they- do with this movie. Why Why would they, like, report on escaped convicts being heroes? Like, I don't even understand, like, the, the, the reporting they were doing. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Oh, uh, maybe man. not a five-star film, but probably damn near close. But, uh, yeah. no, oh, I thought the... Hit. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I thought the whole third act was just so incredible. Like, from the convergence of the B and the A story and just watching the team sort of just infiltrate and do their thing. And, and then, of course, like, the classic double cross. Uh, the twist on the twist was awesome with uh, one Peacemaker being sort of like the double agent or, or maybe uh, the secret agent of Amanda Waller is probably a better word there. And it just all felt so believable in a movie that, Honestly, at its core and probably from an elevator pitch sounds so silly. The fact that they were able to just make this so convincing and really sell you on it. I think that's its greatest achievement when it's all said and done. Uh, Aside from like such creative filmmaking that was like very artistic at times. Like there's this one scene where they did sort of like those graphics that were throughout the movie and it was practical and it was depth of field. And there was different sort of like bent rusted objects from like a broken building sort of giving you whatever the word was. And they pan away and I'm like, holy shit, this is like, that's art. That's like high art. Like that's an incredible shot to capture. And it's happening in the suicide squad too. 
Like this movie, man, this yeah. movie, I'm running out of things to say about it because I feel like at least for me, I, I just, I only have one other thing that I want to bring up, which unfortunately is, it's, I, we've been doing so well, like actually just talking about the movie and not talking about the factors outside of the movie, but we got to talk about it because unfortunately I, I think it is going to spell. Unfortunately, what is going to be the future of just this franchise just in general, which is unfortunately the film's box office, the film as much and, and God damn it. They tried with the positive, with all of the, with all of the great criticism on Twitter and all of the, like the positive reinforcement and gun and the cast doing all these interviews and everything it still unfortunately could not salvage the box office 12.2 opening million opening weekend which is pitiful like that 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 is bad that 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 they were they needed this movie to do 25 million minimum just to opening like 12.2 that is scary as far as that goes and like it's interesting because it, this is not just this is not a black widow situation where it's like oh this was on streaming so therefore nobody was gonna go out to see it in the theaters no it's like i heard that like there was more of like you know bad word of mouth from the first one that this was rated r like all that but like it was really confusing because as far as marketing goes, this movie nailed everything. So, like, I don't know. Like, what what, what are your guys' thought process? Like, is this solely because of the pandemic? Is this because of everything that's been happening, obviously, yeah. with theaters just in general? Is this what the quality movie was like? Like, talk to me about it. Like, what is it happening pandemic. with that? I think it's because the Delta variant is, like, around now. So, people are getting more paranoid. So, I guess less people are going to theaters right now, I guess, starting now. And that's why Suicide Squad didn't perform as well as it clearly should have. Because of how great the, you know, the, it's been, the, the reaction's been overly positive. Like, it's just, everyone loves it. And now, like, I guess it's because that's the devil, you know, of HBO Max. Because, like, it's it's available on HBO Max. And, like, I guess it's so easy to access there. This is what I've been saying to you about streaming for years, Dominic, about, like, how like yeah, you know you if it's available online, people are it's like why go to a theater to pay twenty dollars or sixteen dollars for a ticket and more for snacks and everything? It was like just stay home and watch it in perfect quality. I mean, it is meant to be in the theater, but I totally get why it's not performing well. And it has mainly to do because of HBO Max and the pandemic still. Uh, you know, the round three of pandemic or whatever it is. And uh, you know, maybe if this wasn't on HBO Max or available to stream, it would be you would have gotten like a 25 million plus box office probably for this. But that's my answer. Yeah, I think it's a great answer. And the only point I'll add is I think the obviously the DCEU hasn't done the best job of sowing confidence with its audience. It clearly has its diehards. But even then, I think that there's a lot of infighting between <laughs> the DC fans, who's more for the Snyderverse, who's more for outside of it. And of course, like the original Suicide Squad is arguably their worst received film i mean maybe one emancipation of harley quinn might be a little worse but like Wonder it's Woman up there got some pretty bad one but yeah but it's like probably in the big three of like their their blunders right now so yeah. i just think like it didn't sow too much confidence even though this pretty much is in my opinion like a rebrand of the suicide squad in the best way possible i, I think they're still sort of riding that uh debacle of 2016. I just think it's bad when your headline, looking back on it, is more so about an entangle potential entanglement than the actual film itself. Like, it, it, what does that say about the movie? If we're not even talking about the movie, we're talking about pop culture zeitgeist around yeah, it. We've been talking later. about that a lot so, with movies recently. But but I think that that is probably the smallest 
of the factors that impact why this movie is performing the way it does. I think what you and Dustin brought up clearly have uh, take precedent over that. But I also think like that is a part of it as well. Yeah. It's just unfortunate because like we wanted that. I think everyone wanted this to be like kind of the 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 re, the official right. We obviously got the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League earlier this year, but I think people wanted so badly for this to be like the rebranding, like you know the reemergence of like yes, DC is a factor, and yes, we can finally start getting good movies from them again. And like if Warner Brothers, if this obviously did the money that everyone wanted it to. It's like Warner Brothers might be willing to like take more risk and push it in more of a direction. So we start getting more movies like this between this. And then obviously we're getting the, the Matt Reeves Batman movie in March. But like, unfortunately, like we, we know they only follow the dollars. And obviously we know everything is going towards streaming now. And it just sucks because it's ultimately going to make the chances of more of these types of movies happening less, not more. Which is just, it, it's really unsatisfying. But ultimately, if, if we're getting into final thoughts now, this is easily like... It, there's an argument to be made that this is the best movie so far this year. We obviously still have the rest of this year, but like this is one of the best to come out of it. Everything about this movie works. To kind of echo our sentiments that we said at the beginning, this literally does not have a bad part. It's so entertaining. It's so engrossing. The violence, while excessive, is not tasteless, let's say. It's all really well done. Every single character in this works. Gun once again pulls off another home run, another slam dunk. This is a four and a half out of five star out of five for, for me. It's this close to a five. It's this close, but there are certain things that hold it back from being that perfect five, but it's a four and a half for me easily. Yeah, for sure. I'm right there with you, Don. This is a four and a half out of five stars for me as well. It really inst uh, instills some confidence in the Peacemaker show. I, I, I was a little skeptical about that, especially coming off Cena's performance in F9. But if he can replicate even half of what he did in this movie, I think him being the lead in a series sounds pretty okay with me. Because even though this film wasn't received the way that we probably all here would have hoped it ha would have been, it's still super charming, so enjoyable, completely just like knocked me off my feet in, in the way that I, I would never have expected. And so I think it deserves to be seen and, and I hope the word gets out eventually. And it's unfortunate because I do think uh, circumstances uh, notwithstanding, it, it, we would be talking about the success of this film a little bit more uh, than uh, we're able to with a, a measly $12.2 million. But yeah, yeah four, four and a half out of five stars for me. And, and Dustin, what is your star rating and final thoughts, man? All right, well, most importantly, like I said, like it's it's so funny and so dark and so violent and completely entertaining the whole way through. But most importantly, it was not disappointing. This is one of the only movies in the last two or three years that really, truly didn't disappoint. It was funny. It was great. And I loved it. Four and a half out of five. James Gunn might be the greatest, uh, you know, superhero film director of all time. And it's the probably the most audacious a superhero adaptation since Kick-Ass, the original Kick-Ass back in 2010. And I just had a ball with it. Four and a half. 110%. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So people, with that being said, that is our official review of the Suicide Squad, or to differentiate. I know Chris has been calling it Suicide Squad too throughout of it. My whole thing is the first one is just Suicide Squad. This one is the Suicide Squad. I, I, I wonder what I wonder if for whatever if they do end up making another actual movie of these and not just like doing a bunch of TV spinoffs. If they'll actually like call it something else, like maybe like another Suicide Squad or something like that. But people, what are your thoughts on the Suicide Squad? Let us know in the comment section below. Be sure to click the subscribe button, click the like button. You guys know what to do as far as all that goes. Dustin. First time actually being on the podcast. You crushed it, man. First off, thank you for coming on. This was an absolute treat. Seriously, thank you for this. Where can the good people find you online? You can find me on Mr. G Movie Reviews. You can look up, you know, my videos there. Uh, uh, 
Mr. G Movie Reviews. And uh, you can, I haven't been making videos for a little bit, but uh, you can still watch my old ones, and I might be making new ones soon. And uh, you can, you can uh, leave a link for my letterbox, too. I'd appreciate Absolutely. that. Or follow me on Twitter. At, uh, you know. Sounds good. Yeah, all of Justin's links will be in the description below. And of course, man, it was a pleasure hey. having you on again. I hope to have you back on the show Absolutely. sometime. This was a great conversation. And thanks again for joining us, dude. Absolutely. Chris, where can the good people find you? Yeah, they can find me anywhere you can find our podcast uh, at Christian Ivanko. Ivanko spelled E-V-A-N-K-O. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know the whole deal. And in all those services, there's a, a nifty little link in the bio tool, which you can click to obviously find a pathway back to talking TV, but you're already here. So I don't think you really need to know about that. And Dom will tell you about that in a few minutes anyways. So the other stuff I have going on, I make music. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, Google Play, YouTube Music all the platforms hit the link in my bio it's right there super easy to find as well as my second podcast a show about life music and everything in between titled talking with andrew and chris talking spelled the same way we spell it here again available through the link in my bio thank you guys again so much for tuning into our podcast uh, the subscribers continue to grow up and it's uh it's really humbling it means a lot so thank you and uh dom man Take it away, dude. You guys know me. Uh, posted sarcastic things on Facebook, occasional movie news, and occasional weird pictures on Instagram. But like I said, I think still the most recent thing on my Instagram is whatever the fuck Jared Leto's makeup do in the upcoming House of Gucci movie is on my Instagram and Facebook, which you can find at Movie Nerd Reviews on both platforms. But more importantly, you can find me posting every single day, twice a day, on our social media platforms at Talkin' TV Podcast, no G, on both Facebook and Instagram. Thanks to Dustin for coming here and crushing it for his first time on the podcast. This was the... Suicide Squad podcast, 12 seasons in a short film, and watch more fucking movies.